I'm Alex West. I'm Andrea Subasati, and we're from the Faculty of Horror podcast. And you're tuned in to the Good Trash Media Network. Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films you will never discuss in a film studies course. And this week's film is Cloud Atlas. It is a movie about cartography in which maps are made. Um, maybe not so much. <laughs> you rascally son of a bitch. <laughs> But uh, we are going to be talking about this movie. Uh, we are back to more random sort of stuff. In fact, it's entirely random. We have a randomizer. Out of that very hopper came Cloud Atlas, starring Tom Hanks, and starring Tom Hanks, and starring Tom Hanks. Uh, there's about a million other actors. There's Halle Berry? Halle, I mean, I mean well, come on. there's Halle Berry, and then there's Halle Berry. No, there's, there's like a lot of great actors. There's a lot of actors in this movie. Well, and then there's Hugh Grant, and, and Hugh Grant, and Hugh Grant, and Hugo Weaving, and Hugo Weaving, and Jim Broadbent, and Jim Broadbent. About and six Jim times. Sturgis and Jim Sturgis and Duna Bay and Duna Bay. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, Time six. <laughs> we're uh, very, very excited to be talking about this film with you all. And so before I get any further into all of this, we've got to introduce the voices around the table speaking directly to your brain via those magical uh, MP3, generic MP3 playing devices that you all own and you walk to, jog to, drive to work to, or whatever it is that you happen to do whilst listening to our podcast so to my right sir who are you hi my name is caleb masters and uh on my case i had two sprained ankles one cracked cracked rib the official cause of the accident listed on the hospital form pussy (laughs) i love that joke (laughs) i I did lose it such a great joke that was a good one it's a good joke uh ma'am the only female voice at the table identify yourself please my name's Alexandra Bohannon, and I will not be subjected to criminal abuse. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Uh, sir, to my left, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, the weak are meat, and the strong do eat. That is true. My name is Dustin Sells, and our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others, past and present, and by each crime and by every kindness, we birth our future. Amen. That's right. Uh, Preach, sister. Um, So here we go. We're going to talk about Cloud Atlas, but I want to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. We are going to spoil all six plots uh, throughout (laughs) the course of this thing. But I will warn you, uh, and we'll give you a brief reprieve in which we give our quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews that is preceded by the synopsis from the voice of the cinema and then after that we get down to business and that business is analysis and that will include spoilers you have been warned so without any further ado mr arthur gordon voice of the cinema let's hear that synopsis an exploration of how the actions of individual lives impact one another in the past present and future as one soul is shaped from a killer into a hero and an act of kindness ripples across centuries to inspire a revolution. Oh, that's about what happens. Very, very good. I mean, as far as you could synopsize such a crazy 
uh, swirling cauldron of various plots and narratives. Yes, well done. So thank you very much uh, for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Let's go with those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews and reactions to the film. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you have to say? Uh, this is the second time that I, I've seen Cloud Atlas. Um, and uh, man, it, I don't know what it was, but for some reason that this repeat viewing really stirred me uh, a lot more uh, than my, my initial viewing. Uh, what a great film. What an underrated film. What an underappreciated film. Uh, there is a lot going on here. Um, th there are things that do not work. Um, a lot of the, the race-swapping makeup doesn't work, and it's I, I don't find it I don't problematic racially at all. Uh, it just doesn't look very good sometimes. It looks a little wonky. Uh, but overall, I think it, it serves to illustrate the larger points uh, that are, the film is trying to make. Um, so, you know, I appreciate that. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in my analysis. Um, I think some things are a little ham-fisted um, in terms of the repeat casting. Um, so a little, a few points are a little on the nose with, um, I would say, especially um, Tom Hanks. Uh, his, his double casting, um, Arthur mentions that in the summary, and one story um, at the furthest point back in history he's a bad 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 person and in the story the most far away in history um in the future he he is still a morally complicated figure but is a much more uh, redeemable and um heroic person so i think it's <clears throat> it's a little ham-fisted but overall i i adore the film overall uh dustin shaking his head at me no um i, I guess ham-fisted is not quite the wrong the right word um just for for me a, a few of those beats are a bit on the nose. Um, I also feel like having uh, Hugh Grant and Hugo Weaving ex exclusively play villainous characters does kind of work against the film's idea that, um, you know, uh, kindness can ripple throughout eternity um, and that everyone is redeemable uh, because not everyone's redeemable in this film. Um, there are some souls, if we're going to, if we're going to assume that every character in the film, uh, you know, Every person that Halle Berry plays has the same soul. If we're going to work with that assumption, then Hugo Weaving and, and Hugh Grant are um, bad, 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 bad men and women who will be evil throughout eternity. But overall, I absolutely adore the film. Uh, to your point real quickly, Dalton, um, because it's not going to touch on my analysis, but it almost did, was the idea of karma versus the idea of grace mm -hmm. in the fact that, you know, karma is absolutely, and, and from a Protestant perspective, you know, which is sort of my background theologically, philosophically, metaphysically speaking, there is this idea that what you do in karma will influence what happens to you. And in the uh, Protestant and Christian understanding of grace, what you do and have done doesn't matter as much as much as you are accepting of a act of grace. And what I think the film lacks, uh, it, the, and I told Caleb about this after we finished watching the film, was a uh, a gesture of grace towards either Hugh Grant or Hugo Weaving's characters, in which they had an opportunity to respond otherwise. That they are bad people, and no one ever treats them as anything as such. And mm -hmm. so they're not given the same opportunity for transformation. Well, and especially with Tom Hanks' character, who behaves very badly in quite a few of his storylines, um, is given moments of, of grace and redemption. And um, I think that's, I, I like that that is a big focus of the film, is giving his character um, a chance throughout centuries to become a better, you know, entity. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that is something that I struggle with. But overall, I, I think it's incredibly underrated. I mean, 
God damn, does this movie move at a good clip. I mean, it is so well edited. Uh, the cross-cutting between stories works so well, um, either to underline a thematic point or to heighten the tension uh, of, of action sequences. Um, I, I think this movie's working on a whole lot of levels, and it is uh, definitive Wachowski. I mean, th- this is so far up their alley, it, it's insane. Like, this is hitting on all cylinders that they like to operate on. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what have you to say in terms of your thumbs-up, thumbs-down review? I have never seen this film before. This is my first viewing of this film, and I found it to be a distinctly spiritual experience myself. I do really love this film. I was distinctly moved. Um, there's a part in the very end that uh, is very spoilery, but um, is implied at the beginning. But there, um, it deals with the six, is it Sixpence? Sixsmith. Yeah. Sixsmith uh, storyline. Um, from There's a later scene of that, and it goes forward. I just cried from that going forward. And then I cried for a good 30 minutes after this film was over. Just every now and then I just get a wave of like starting to think about this film and just the overall uh, picture of it. And I would just be incredibly moved. Um, I would say that looking at this film as a big picture experience, instead of trying to really, um, really dive into individual storylines. I feel like it's really, um, in your in one's best interest to try and enjoy this not as you know a Tom Hanks film or Halle Berry, but as a big picture piece. Well, I think you'd be doing a disservice to the film. Yes, to do that. Yeah, yeah. because I, none of them operate in a vacuum. I mean, right. they are all so interwoven, uh, both in drama and theme. That uh, yeah, I, I agree, Alex. You you definitely have to take each story on its own merits. But, and honestly, I mean, standalone, none of them would really be that compelling on their own either. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That neo soul shit would still be pretty cool. Oh yeah. Own. I mean, because that's Fun. kind of like Blade Runner. Yeah. Basically, but I still loved it a lot. Um. Yeah. It, if this film is wonderful and moving, and despite its rather lengthy runtime, I mean, it really doesn't feel that that long i didn't feel um belabored upon um there were a couple maybe subplots like the jim broadbent uh subplot which i love jim broadbent but um that one wasn't incredibly wasn't incredibly you know razzle dazzle to me um the payoff of that story is a lot of fun but overall i think it's the weakest yes yeah it is and and sometimes it would it was almost distracting and i know sometimes you know you can't have all all stories you know operate universal thematically and be you know powerful heady heavy hitters at the same time but that one uh definitely felt like a weaker point but overall i am enamored by this movie and dalton i watched this with zach um and he watched it the first time and then the second he watched it a second time with me and he had the same experience you did he said whenever he first watched it this wasn't anything to he found it fine and he liked the sci-fi and it was good but he said the second viewing was really what kind of knocked it out of the park and made it a really vulnerable viewing experience um and that was really interesting to me and it it seems like that's kind of an experience that's been echoed throughout a lot of uh people that i know have watched it twice at least Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Caleb Masters, do you have a reaction to this film? Yeah, I have a real strong reaction to this film. Uh, this is a, an incredibly uh, personal film-going experience for myself. Um, I watched it when it was in theaters in 2012 uh, with a very close friend. And uh, at the time, I uh, <laughs> uh, grew up a very um, 
a lot more closed-minded, a lot more evangelical, a lot, lot, a lot very afraid to venture outside of the the uh, boundaries of my conventional uh, beliefs. And this film really was one of several films uh, that I saw in college, but particularly at the tail end of college, that uh, did a great deal to demonstrate the beauty of human life and the universal truths at work in the world that transcend time and race and geography. And it's probably one of the most crucial viewing films I've seen uh, in my life. Uh, Cloud Atlas is a, you know, just in terms of general review, uh, Cloud Atlas is a beautiful and moving experience, almost unlike any other movie I've seen. I really like uh, to compare it to an orchestra, if I'm trying to use analogies. Uh, on their own, I felt like each plot line is just kind of okay. You know, you get your solo trumpet, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. You get your bass, and you're like, all right. Doesn't seem kind of, it doesn't really seem full, but it sounds kind of cool. Uh, this film works like an orchestra. Uh, each one of these plot lines is used uh, to tell a larger story in the same way that an orchestra needs all the moving parts to work and, and give you the best picture and, and the beautiful, momenta, momentous experience. You might even argue that the film itself is a sextet of um, various moods and pieces, right, being interwoven together. The film's telling, each one of these are, are, are revealing different truths that uh, are revealing uh, the truth of the beauty of human beings and the, and the slow-moving process of, and the casualties of revolution. I thought time, uh, Tom, is it Tykwer? Tykwer? The, the Tickfer. Tickfer? Tom Tickfer, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tom uh, Tickler's score is one of my favorites of the last decade, and it, I, I really do think that combined with just the stellar performances and just the really n uh, tight editing really knocks this film out of the park, and it is a hugely understated film. Uh, and I really like that Alex described it as a, as a spiritual experience because this is the third time I've watched it, and each time I really f I have this almost like euphoric... There are moments in the film where I have this like euphoric movement in my soul, like just, it hits on the truths of, of being human and and the the beautiful tragedy of being human uh, in a way that is both inspiring and devastating. And I, I just I love this film, and I think it's a great uh, underrated film. I don't know, uh, I don't know what what more you want from me, Dustin, but that's about all I got to say. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Now, what I want to say is this: decades ago, Paul Schrader uh, wrote a text uh, called Transcendental Cinema where he wrestled with the films of Yajiro Ozu, um, Tarkovsky, and uh, Carthy Theodore Dreyer. And this film belongs in that canon. Um, there are movies that you can pray to, uh, that you can use as aids to pray. Not like you pray to the movie, like, you know, oh, oh. Not, not, not praying like to... Like praying to Sanmi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. L no, yeah. No, don't, not that. But that you can use as an aid to prayer. And this film is one of them. It's a film that inspires you to want to be a better person, to make good choices, to change the world around you. And that is fundamentally a worthwhile project, and it is excellent, excellently executed, if I can say all my X words together very, very, very closely. And it is, is so good. It does not feel like a three-hour runtime. The, the score is brilliant. The editing is fantastic. All the performances, despite the very, very bad day worn by um, one Tom Hanks when he plays Dr. Henry Goose. Um, still, he, he, he's able to act around those teeth. You know how brilliant Tom Hanks is? Because he's acting around those teeth and still very, very convincing. <laughs> because I'm telling you what, that's not easy. It's, I mean, I haven't done it, but I can tell you it's not the, the kind of thing you want to do. You put in vampire fangs for some sort of Halloween thing at some point in your life, haven't you? And guess what? You sound like 
well, you sound like you have stuff in your mouth. He does not. He is brilliant in all that he does. And uh, all the other performances, Halle Berry is great. Uh, Jim Broadbent is great. I could go on and on and on. Everybody is fantastic and super, super solid throughout the course of this film. I could not recommend it more highly. It is probably in, it probably cracked my top ten. And it was the first time I ever watched it in my life when I watched it with Caleb and with Dalton at uh, Dalton's house. You can do an action movie and you can let actors do actor mm-hmm. stuff. It yeah. It can be done. It can be written. Um, I'm just telling you, Zach, this is what you could have done. But moving right along, I look Tell at my me, watch. Dustin, yes, sir. Do movies make you cry? Well, they will. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I'm sick of this. It's time to play the game. <laughs> time to play the game. Time to play the game. That's right, dear listener, and this week's game is our favorite Tom Hanks movies in honor of Tom Hanks Appreciation Month. It doesn't actually exist, but it should. That's right. Favorite Tom Hanks films in honor of Tom Hanks Appreciation Month. It doesn't actually exist, but maybe it should. Brought to you by Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. There's some good Tom Hanks stuff in here. If you want to see him with goofy teeth and a not particularly good Cockney accent. <laughs> oh, that was painful. Yeah, like, that's, that's pretty uh, bad. Yeah. I wanted to throw him out of that window. Uh, it's, it's okay. That's, that's, so why, that's why it was worth it. He threw the guy out the window, which made for a great punchline. Do you know there's actually a word for being thrown out Defenstrated. the window? Defenstrated. Yeah, yes, yes. There was a lot of that. That was a theme in this mi- there film. Was, there, was there was a multiple... plethora of defenstration in this film. Yeah, either climbing or leaping. That, that moment is so hilariously it's the most violent punchline i think i've ever seen <laughs> no no dustin okay guys dustin's reaction to this film was oh, so funny it was so funny he, he just because you and i both knew this was coming we, we knew it was coming but dustin i just i was sitting next to him and looked over and he go he go what like like every like loudly loud and i've seen well, a lot of movies with dustin he usually does not have this strong of a like shock reaction it was like in disbelief it was it was great yeah, I I was not I did not you know like just like fascism yeah I, I'm, did, I'm, I did not see that coming I, <laughs> I'm I'm usually the the vocal movie watcher Dustin's usually pretty stoic but yeah his your reactions throughout Cloud Atlas were killing me yeah I, I like that movie a lot okay well, let's play the game though which is our favorite Tom Hanks movies Caleb name them who's Tom Hanks America's Dad you dickhole. Well, that brings me to my first pick, which is going to be Catch Me If You Can, talking about America's dad. He he basically is Leo's dad. He's a better dad than Christopher Walken in that movie anyway. Gosh, guys. And I have to also, that leads me straight to Castaway. That is a that is a great movie with Tom Hanks really having to, to, to flex his muscles. It was the only real chemistry in this movie was between him and a volleyball with his blood smeared on it. And it was, it was the most compelling drama I saw that year. I'm pretty sure I still get tears every time Wilson's floating away on the raft, man. To be fair, he does have great he- chemistry with Helen Hunt as well. Yeah, I mean, that's great, but that's not why I watch the movie. I don't watch it for him and Helen Hunt. I watch it for him and Wilson. Uh, lastly, I mean, come on. While we're on the, while we're on the roll, guys, Toy Story. Yeah, no, that's fair. Woody. Yeah. Look, Buzz, an alien. I don't know. I don't know. What else you guys want? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we want you to give your picks, and you did that. So you gave us exactly what we wanted. Well done. I can go all day. Claps, all day. claps for Caleb. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Alexander Bohanna, what are your selections? 
I am going to go maybe a little sappy for you guys since, well, we, I mean, we've already gone sappy with Toy Story, which yes, definitely. And Castaway, oh, most certainly. I I remember wheeling in a big giant TV cart at my dad's university when we would watch Castaway on VHS because that was the only thing we could watch whenever my dad's students were enjoying spring break for some reason. But I digress. I would say that my other two uh, top uh, Tom Hanks flicks would be Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, which are essentially close to the same film. But They are the same film. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not Meg mad Ryan, about that. I'm not mad about that either. I do like You've Got Mail a whole lot. I haven't watched it probably since 2004, so I don't know if any of like the technology stuff would actually be irritating to watch now. Um, I would like to do it, though, on this program. I think it would be really interesting and, and neat. But those, in addition to probably everything my co-hosts say, um, would be my favorite Tom Hanks features. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, selections now. Do it. Um, to the, the point about Tom Hanks uh, being uh, America's dad, I actually wanted to pick one of the times he's he's been a, a vulgar father figure. Um, uh, and that's a uh, road to perdition. Allah Shravoy Zizek. Yes, yeah. Oh, uh, you you've taught me things, Dad. You've taught me things. <laughs> uh, but Road to Perdition is a film that I absolutely love. Um, that uh, I don't feel like people talk about much anymore. It's got some great cinematography from Roger Deakins. I think it was the first movie he shot in digital, but I could be wrong. Caleb saying yes. I'm going to take his word for it. It's a great movie. Um, really, uh, very much a. Uh, a lone wolf and cub type story. Um, it, it's it's so fucking good, guys. If you have not seen Road to Perdition, I, I cannot more highly recommend it um, because it, it it is moving and fascinating. It's a great gangster movie, but it's also a great father son film. Uh, it's a great morality play. Um, I like everything about it. I also want to give some love to Apollo thirteen, uh, which is a one of my favorite Tom Hanks performances and one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies. I love Apollo thirteen. I think it is. Com- an emotionally engaging and expertly crafted uh, thriller, and I think it's easily the the best movie that uh, Ron Howard's ever made. Um, I, I think it's absolutely aces in my book. And last but not least, I wanted to pick one Tom Hanks film that I knew no one else would pick, and that is The Burbs, which is a really bizarre uh, and underrated surrealist comedy that um, they used to run it on Comedy Central nonstop when I was a kid. And and I haven't seen it since I was probably 17, um, but I I would definitely revisit it in a heartbeat because I think it is a fucking bonkers-ass movie that is really funny and really weird and strange, Um, and you don't get to see a lot of uh, Tom Hanks' uh, screwball comedy anymore, and he, he is operating at peak comedy in that film. Excellent selections, all Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm going to begin with what I feel like should have been the obvious pick, but maybe I'm out of my mind, and that's Forrest Gump. Well, that's the, I didn't pick it because it was the obvious yeah, pick. Yeah, duh. Okay, Hello. okay. <laughs> so I mean, it's because, you know, I, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is, Jenny. Uh, Jesus. Ugh. I don't love that movie, nor do I love that as his role. I think it's a, a really complicated and problematic film that I In still many enjoy. Ways, yeah, yes. I still it's enjoy a, it's it. An, it's enjoyable, yeah. But, I mean, he won an Academy Award for that. I also love uh, his other Academy Award awarding role in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think he's fantastic in that. Um, my next selection, though... Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. <laughs> Sorry. It's one of my favorite uh, oh, Denzel yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. Explain it to me like I'm five. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, nextly, I want to pick uh, the, the Green Mile. 
I I mean for for very very particular reasons to myself and my own self understanding, it's it's a very powerful film. It's a very very moving film in crazy ways uh, for me. But my favorite Tom Hanks film remains Joe versus the volcano. I knew that's what you were gonna pick because I mean that movie is insanely crazy and fun and uh, that screwball vein of Tom Hanks and and it. it demonstrates his ability to select roles that have a little more heft to them than your traditional leading man stuff might have for you. And uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, He's got good agents or an agent. I have no idea what his situation is with his PR and what have you and whatnot. But he knows how to pick movies uh, and roles that are deep and are challenging for himself personally, like what you might see in Castaway. But also, he's able to find entire scripts where he may not have all the work to do himself that have a real, real depth to them. And even though Joe vs. the Volcano is this crazy, silly, ridiculous movie, in a great many ways, with Meg Ryan and Meg Ryan and Meg Ryan all starring in the film, much like Clad Atlas. Um, that being said, he's he's just he's fantastic in the movie. When he talks about the the uh, fluorescent lights sucking the life from his eye sockets. <laughs> That is our Tom Hanks Appreciation Month episode of gameplay for you all. We move on right now, and we're going to get down to business. <laughs> Ow, 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 ow. It's okay. Dalton just stepped on a sticker. Oh, I was moved by the music today. <laughs> He'll be okay. Um, that's right, dear listener. Our, ana- our business is analysis. I about said our analysis is our business, which is almost as true. But for some reason, I wanted to say business is analysis first. I don't know why. Uh, analysis is the business, and business is good. <laughs> and so we're going to analyze this film. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What have you to say, sir? Well, I I wanted to touch on something that I, I think is part of what works best uh, about Cloud Atlas, and it's this underlying theme um, uh, of the idea of the, the the flexibility of race and gender, and I, I think it really speaks to uh, the creation of race and gender as social constructs, which, uh, for obvious reasons, the Wachowskis uh, would have personal reason to be interested in. Uh, not at the time of the film were they both out, but uh, both out now currently uh, as trans. Um, I, I can definitely see the idea of you know souls inhabiting bodies throughout time being being very powerful to them, and it's powerful to me. It's something that I find really moving uh, and beautiful. Um, And I think so much of uh, our culture in North America and in the West is wrapped up um, both in gender identity and in racial identity and um, putting people into categories regardless. Uh, I mean, there's an interesting um, article I read a long time ago that I wish I could remember more about, uh, the idea of which was basically white people are the only people that get to choose their ethnic background. Um, and if you have any uh, minority e- ethnicity, your ethnic background gets picked for you. It's the one that's most apparent, and that's the box that society wants to put you into. Uh, and I think throughout Cloud, Al- Cloud Atlas, uh, again, we, we already talked about some of the race swap makeup being just a little problematic, not necessarily in terms of um, the way that uh, 
brown and yellow face can often be problematic like they are in something like breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, here they're problematic just because they don't look that well. They don't look that good. Um, and they do kind of a disservice to the crux of this film, which is the idea that uh, we are all people. Um, and uh, the thing that I love most about this film is the idea that when you treat someone um, the way with their innate humanity, uh, if you behave towards your, your fellow human beings, um, as though they were just another person that can inspire kindness that goes on for centuries. And I mean, that is the crux of this movie, um, is the, the saving, um, I can't remember his name, the stowaway slave on the ship at the beginning of the film who saves Jim Sturgis's character from being poisoned by Tom Hanks. Um, the letters about that voyage go on to inspire Somi451 to rebel in Neo Soul. They go on to make Zachary in, uh, on the Big Isle uh, change his worldview, help him overcome his fear of acting, his fear of getting involved in conflict. Um, and I think that is something that really works amazingly well uh, about Cloud Atlas, is people should be treated um, as human beings first and everything else secondarily. Um, and when we acknowledge everyone else's inherent humanity, we come to a greater understanding uh, as a species. And we can accomplish some really great things instead of, man, really troublingly pigeonholing people uh, based on what they're capable of and based on uh, race and gender. Which isn't to say, I know this, this might sound like I'm saying, oh, we shouldn't talk about race and gender. No, we definitely fucking should. We should always be talking about it because if we, we can't just stop talking about it, that's what happened um, in the 80s is we pretended that we decided to try and pretend we were past those things and it made those things worse. So we need to start talking about them. But I, I think the best thing we can remember to do is treat uh, other human beings uh, like, oh, I don't know, other fucking human beings. Uh, and that's something that Cloud Atlas does very well. Good job, Wachowskis. Good job, Tom Tickfer. Good job, Cloud Atlas. Well done. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis do you bring, sir? Yeah, there's definitely some overlap in what I and Dalton are saying. I think we're going to go a little bit different direction because uh, I want to talk about the power and importance of uh, storytelling that transcends generations, that transcends race, geography, ethnicity, all those things. Uh, now, as Dalton said, uh, the, the film is highlighting um, kind of the importance of how uh, an act of kindness, or in the, in the context of my analysis, how stories uh, grow and evolve as they pass down through the generation. The story begins with Adam, Ewing, uh, Adam Ewing's uh, journal about his struggle to justify his role in the slave trade. His journal is read by Robert Frobisher, who is inspired to write the Cloud Atlas Sextet. The Sextet is heard by... Uh, is read by is, is heard by journalist Luisa Del Rey, who is moved by the piece to write a book, and then so on and so forth until uh, So Many Fine One records her, her videos of protest for the rebellion that are eventually turn her into a deity, and her teachings through these videos uh, pour into Zachary. Zachary learns to accept Marinim, even though she is a, a, you know outside an outsider with a different skin color and unclear motives. Uh, so... I think what's most important here isn't necessarily the individual stories themselves, but rather the themes and ideas of fighting oppressing, uh, fighting oppression and trusting others and seeking spiritual sand transcendence that pass down uh, to, through each person. 
Uh, now, the universal ideas at work look a little bit different in each context, but remain true and powerful nonetheless. For example, in 1849, the oppression is slavery based on race. In 1936, it's based on s- sexual orientation. In 2144, it's based on uh, being an organic human being versus a fabricated human being. And I believe the, the larger narrative is arguing that despite the progress that it's made through the generations, the evils of the world will still remain. However, I also don't. I I, I think that, I think the film states that the despite the kind of tragic beauty of human existence, uh, there, there's this really underlying optimism uh, that believes that yes, there's always going to be this evil because as we stated in our reviews, Hugh Grant and Hugo Weaving are always evil. They're always there, um, but despite this evil, the progress is worth fighting for. And there, are, while there are many theses in the film, I think the most relevant comes. Uh, from Hugo Weaving at the end when he's talking to uh, Adam Ewing, uh, who, when he says, you know, there's a natural order to the world and those who try to upend it do not fare well, uh, to kind of paraphrase it. And he says, no matter what you do, it'll never amount to anything more than a single drop in a limitless ocean. Uh, to which Ewing just responds, uh, what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? And uh, it really basically saying, yeah, this is change is going to take a long time. We're talking generations and uh, to, to move mountains, but it, it, is, it is doable and it is possible. Now, getting back to kind of the idea of the storytelling, though, each iteration of the story with these themes is getting closer to finding the, the, the truth and making a lasting change. Among the, and if you want to think of some kind of more relevant examples of story, stories that stick around have like a universal a power that transcend time. We had Batman versus Superman came out. Batman, a character that's uh, 80 years old. Apparently, he stuck around. Uh, you've got, uh, on the, this fine Easter weekend, uh, we have uh, the story of uh, mankind seeking redemption through a redeemer, uh, through the, the Jesus Christ narrative, a story that's more than 2,000 years old. Uh, storytelling, no matter the method or the media, is the most powerful means we have at communicating the lessons we've learned to uh, future generations. And if the larger meta narrative of Cloud Atlas um, has one idea that I think it's really pushing more than anything, uh, it's that despite the natural order, uh, we can work together to make progress by defeating prejudice and oppression in favor of loving other human beings um, that we're stuck with on this planet until we discover our spiritual enlightenment, which clearly in each story, they all talk about the idea of spiritual enlightenment. So I think it's like while we're all here, we're all working together, we're all seeking this enlightenment, but we need to make this world a better place while we're here. Here, here, Mr. Caleb Masters. Thank you very much for that analysis. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? How does music change you? I think that's one question that out of the multitude of questions that this film asks, um, music is one of those methods by which humans can experience not just temporary emotional change, but lasting, influential, powerful change. I'm the daughter of a music professor, so music has been in my blood and guts basically my entire life. My father was holding like speakers up to my mom's womb of Mozart and and stuff like at an early in obviously pre being, you know, a real viable human being outside of that. Um so hearing a score like Caleb said that is is so powerful that carries the message of this film is just awe-inspiring to me. Whenever a piece of music fully resonates with your core and moves you to action, whether that action be tears, rage, headbanging, dancing, 
there's something important to be noted there. Cloud Atlas, as a reminder, is the title of the sextet written by Robert Frobisher, who is so carried away with music and whose music influences his life so much that by the end of the film, he's giving his life so that this melody can be played for future generations and proof it does. Cloud Atlas puts forth universally that music can transcend language and gender and racial identities as well as national boundaries and hell, even the, the, uh, even the seams between what makes me a person and what makes you a person going into Lacan's oceanic oneness concept where we are all, you know, before we realize I am me and you are you and Caleb is Caleb because Caleb is Caleb. Uh, before we realize all of these things are true, uh, we have a sense that we as infants don't have these boundaries between ourselves. And I think this movie is arguing that returning to that state can be put forth through things like music, like film. The music in this film diegetically and non-diegetically with the score can cause this overpowering outpour of emotion that for me and my personal experience didn't just uh, stop when the film stops. It, it, it kind of stuck with me and has stuck with me, honestly, since I, I watched this film. This movie is beautiful in the fact that the message and the medium of the message are one and the same. The universality of, of human experience. The fact that we can experience a piece of music and then think about how the piece of music conveys different themes and notes and we can experience it at the same time, like in the in instance of a live, a live rendition of it or even just a, a recording. But, but just the experience of it, hearing the same melodies and hearing how they can strike a chord with me that touches a chord in you, that's powerful. That's stuff that you can't really access in another way than without through a medium like film and like music. And it, and it is just another reason why these are just so vital and important for the entire future of the human race. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that art and film and, and music and all of those things, writing all of it, it, it can transcend boundaries. It can transcend all of these things that make us put up walls and that causes us to see others as other and other everyone else. Right. It's just a very powerful sermon. I would, I would say this, this film we are recording it on an Easter Sunday, and I've never heard a better Easter sermon. Excellent. Um, I would not disagree in any way, shape, or form. Miss Alexander Bohannon, thank you very much for that analysis. I'm going to bring a little philosophy into the conversation at this point. As we all know, the Wachowskis are very obsessed with all things philosophical and all things sort of like religious studies and those kind of things as well. But there's a whole lot of one Friedrich Nietzsche going on in this particular film. And so I, I want to just talk about a couple of the uh, major Nietzschean concepts that are at work in this film, and, and the first of, of which is the eternal recurrence, is that which has happened is doomed to happen again and again and again. Time is a flat circle. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I said that too when <laughs> watching this movie. 
we're all the same people. <laughs> and, and I mean, absolutely, there's some of that going on in this film in which there is this sort of eternal recurrence, especially with Hugh Jackman. Uh, Hugh Jackman, golly. Um, Hugh Grant, that would be a much more interesting I, and I mean, I, I'd take bizarre it. film. Hugh Grant and uh, what was going on uh, with uh, Agent Smith. What is his name? Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving. And what's going on with Hugo Weaving? Um, in both of those cases, you see these these characters sort of doomed to repeat the same sort of patterns and choices that they have made because uh, they refuse to choose uh, life affirming, uh, other centric, um, you know, sort of you know generically um, generous positions in life, and uh, and instead choose um, something quite a bit more selfish. The other big Nietzschean term going on is the idea of the will to power, and that what what separates us from the material circumstances of our life, that life is entirely mechanistic, that you were designed and uh, set up in a certain way with particular drives, and you only act mechanically, is that despite that, despite even your own well-being, as far as Nietzsche is concerned, you will um, strive to grab more and more power. Which, again, Hugh Grant, Hugo Weaving, both are doing tons of that. Yet the film is not just reciting and parroting Nietzsche. It is also in dialogue with Nietzsche. In, in, in so far as, yes, there is this eternal recurrence that goes on, but one act of kindness can change sort of the uh, the ripples of time. It can alter the way that the story is being played out, that there can be more justice and then more justice. And that those desires for power, although they're definitely present, you can desire power for yourself as a minority group, not to wield that power over others, but rather to get an equity of power. And that what we have, especially with Sunmi uh, 451, which is a massive reference to uh, Fahrenheit 451. Um, also, just the name Jocasta uh, with Oedipus and the fact that, you know, uh, Frobisher ends up sleeping with her. It's, it, it, it's, it's all, I mean, the references are all over the place with the Wachowskis anyway. I mean, they're, they're just replete with these sort of references. Uh, but Nietzsche... In dialogue and in conversation, they begin to suggest, yes, indeed, there is an idea of eternal recurrence. Yes, indeed, there is an idea of will to power. But you can change those recurrences, that you can make individual choices within that frame that are not self-serving, that are not about your own desires and drives, that are not about just your will to power, that you can actually fight for power for the sake of others, for the sake of people who are not amongst yourselves. And so this film functions as a very, very revolutionary text. You should watch it because you should liberate your minds by any means possible, dear listeners. And it is a powerful text, um, reckoning and wrestling with some of the most important German uh, philosophical texts. And Hegel comes in, Heiger comes in. I'm not going to bore you with all that right now. I will just say Nietzsche is going on in crazy ways throughout this film. And the film is not just parroting Nietzsche. It is also in conversation therein. And that is the analysis I would bring. Dear listener, we would love to hear your reactions to everything that we've said so far. We'd love to hear what you've got to say about all that we have to say, and we'll give you opportunities to do that. But first, we have to take a moment for a word from our sponsors. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. <laughs> Because of the pledges of 
our wonderful patrons, we've been able to get business cards, upgrade equipment, purchase a camera for live streaming, and that is just the tip of the iceberg for 2016. We have so many surprises in store for you, dear listener. So again, to those who have pledged, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're not sure about pledging uh, but want more information, then go to patreon.com forward slash gtgc. That's patreon.com forward slash gtgc. Or go to goodtrashmedia.com and click become a patron. Again, thank you so much. And back to the show. I think she smell my cologne. It's called brand new money. Make them make the moves. Man, ain't a damn thing funny. Pimpin' hood rats to playboy bunnies. They see the money, 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 money. That's right, dear listener. We're so thankful for all of your contributions via Patreon and other means. Uh, contact us there at, at goodtrashmedia.com. Now, before we get any further, we need to come to a point in the show where we must render a verdict. And we must put this film on the shelf or in the trash. I think... The answers may be obvious, but I'm very excited to hear our else's or instead's. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? Ooh. Yeah, let's go ahead and put this on the shelf. Um, I I think that's the right call here. Um, This is a film that should be watched. Um, I think it (laughs) did not do very well when it came out. It barely made back its production budget. Um, And uh, I I think it's... I, I wouldn't go as far as to call it a maligned film, but it's definitely... Um, not one people bring up in conversation a whole lot. So I, I, I think if you have not checked out Cloud Atlas before, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, even if you don't like it um, and have seen it before, I think you should revisit it because there's a lot going on here. Um, it is not a perfect film. It is messy in stretches, but I think it is an absolutely wondrous thing um, and by all rights should be terrible. And the fact that it is not is kind of astonishing and, and quite an accomplishment. Um, I'm going to give the boring answer and say just the Wachowskis. Um, but uh, obviously, you should be watching their stuff. But in particular here, I want to go ahead and say Bound, uh, their very first film, which is not something I think a whole lot of people have seen. Um, it's really interesting and uh, plays a lot with um, uh, Hollywood's uh, gender tropes uh, in ways that are fun and interesting. Uh, and I would also recommend their Netflix series, Sense8, which is playing with a lot of the same themes and ideas uh, that are presented within Cloud Atlas. So shelf it, watch those things, go do that. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Boyanin, what is your what is your decision? Shelf or trash, else or instead? I am definitely going to say shelf. This is a beyond spiritual experience, and I would like to watch this every Easter Sunday. I think every religious holiday, I think I'd rather watch this movie than uh, maybe go with a congregation and do something. Amen, sister. I I felt like it was a much more productive and moving use of my time. Sorry. Um, I just haven't been... Never mind. I'll just go forward. I will also recommend to you um, Blade Runner because what else is new? New Soul feels pretty uh, cribby from a lot of the the aesthetic I find in Blade Runner, um, and especially you have the whole issue of the the replicants. And I can't what remember what they're called. And are, is that what they're called in Blade Runner? They're called replicants. Is that what they're fabricants? They? They're fabricants. fabricants yeah. The not replicants in. Uh, in our film Cloud Atlas. I would also recommend for the similar reasons Ex Machina because that also grapples with questions of, you know, what makes a human a human and are humans, you know, the same regardless of 
whether they've been fabricated or born naturally, you know, pure bloods, if you will. I'd also recommend to you either uh, Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia, because I feel like both of those, I feel like both of those stories uh, I don't feel the Chronicles of Narnia have had a very stellar film adaptation that I can really write home about in sight, but both of them uh, deal a lot with uh, Christian themes. I mean, Tolkien and I C.S. Told, Lewis. Thank you. I'm more Tolkien and C.S. Lewis IRL friends. Yeah, yeah, yes. they, they yeah. were part of a same. Okay, uh, group. yeah, they're part of that Writers Guild or whatever. The Inklings. Yeah, so I mean that that's something for one. So there's like a lot of these. Um, messages about spirituality and then there's this big world building component and you get all these alternate storylines especially in the no- the Chronicles of Narnia novels where you have basically different um, main characters of different protagonists you don't have your four kids always in this in the books you have you know swapped out children or different people entirely but they do cross paths a lot and then Lord of the Rings for just the vastness of the universe because this universe itself feels really very very vast and uh, due to what I shouted at the TV at the end uh, whenever Sami figures out, you know, what she has been drinking. Soylent Green, uh, just because, hello, that's just something relevant to watch there. So those are my else's in terms of what you should watch with this movie, Cloud Atlas. Thank you very much, Mr. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, shelf or trash, else or instead? Uh, yeah, this is on my shelf, and I bought it on, to put on my shelf specifically so I could share with people like you. Uh, no joke. I was really glad we got to do this movie because I literally bought it so that I could watch it with other people who I thought they would would get the movie. I enjoyed and it thoroughly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely shelf it. Go out and cold buy it. Cold buy it. I, I don't know. Just just watch this movie. I, I highly recommend it for everybody. Uh, else, I want to recommend another film that I had a very interesting spiritual encounter with uh, the same year, which was Life of Pi. Also, very vi- uh, very uh, visually engaging and visceral film that that grapples with the ideas of God and what is what is like this. Uh, what is it like to to reach uh, this sort of uh, enlightenment? Uh, lots of interesting ideas in that film as well, so I think it's a it's a decent little companion piece if you're looking at films that are are not uh, Christian but also very spiritual and talking uh, having a conversation with uh, some of the the themes uh, that are in this film. Uh, the Matrix, if you're going to look at the more Wachowskis, I think all of their stuff is pretty good, save for their most recent film. Uh, but I, I like I like everything they've done so far, other than that, the than uh, what was it, Ju- Jupiter Ascending. Um, pretty much everything, but yeah, the Matrix. It's 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 weighty. It's got lots of uh, similar ideas. They're 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 having a conversation about technology and spiritualism. Great, and it's just a lot. It's a lot of fun. And, and lastly, I want to recommend Darren Ar- Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain, another really really underrated film. I understand now that film, understandably so. That 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 film much heavier. Uh, it's very depressing and, and heavier, but it's another one of those ideas of the the power of storytelling, transcending time and space. Uh, to tell the story about uh, one man and how he deals with loss and griefing. Uh, but another super visual, uh, visually engaging, 
another very another film I had a, a very exper- spiritual experience with, but I can't highly recommend any of those picks enough. But that's about all I got, Dustin. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. As we see in Cloud Atlas, I am absolutely going to say it is a shelfer. It's a film worth your time, and it is a film that is moving away towards Christianity, towards other ideas and other um, um, theologies, philosophies, and what have you and whatnot for the conversation. To see the reverse in action in which you're in a situation where you're an atheistic Marxist and Nietzschean situation moving towards Christianity, you ought to take a look at Andre Tarkovsky's Solaris, which is a science fiction epic. It is also three hours long. It's probably much more glacially paced, I think, than this particular film, but it's absolutely philosophically and theologically worth your time and worth the investment. I could not recommend it more highly. Dear listener, we'd like to hear your recommendations and your thoughts on Cloud Atlas, your thoughts on our analysis, what we left out, what we should have said, what we should not have said. And you can do that via those magical means that we all know as social media. And so I go to you, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Do you know anything about places in which that social media conversation could be held? Sure thing, Dustin. You can find Good Trash Media at goodtrashmedia.com. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. Thank you very much for that. Um, Mr. Dalton Stewart, is there another means by which the conversation could be held? Uh, you know, Dustin, I was going to r- read a monologue from this film and make it about Twitter, but uh, unlike uh, what happens usually, I was actually spoiled for choice. There's just too many monologues in this movie. Um, so, yeah, no, I didn't feel like doing that. You can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, Alex, Caleb, and myself, uh, all three, run that. And uh, if you say something to us, we will almost certainly respond, um, uh, unless you say uh, tits or GTFO, and then we'll block you. But uh, other than that, um, we will almost certainly respond. Um, And we love interacting with you, listeners, so please do that. That's good underscore trash on Twitter. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Now we move on to next week, and we're so excited because it's yet again another host pick. Mr. Arthur Gordon, the voice of the cinema, is the picker of the film this time. I am on bated breath, sir. What have you selected? You know, it was very difficult to to, uh, nail down a title. I had several that I was racking my brain on, and I had probably about a dozen titles that I was uh, looking for. And so, I, I, you know what? I got to a point, though, where I wanted to do something different from what we were already doing this month as producer. I kind of have the foreknowledge of what else we'll be looking at later in the month. And I wanted something a little different. I wanted to kind of lighten the tone a little bit. And I was feeling a little nostalgic, and somebody kind of kicked us in the butt saying we didn't ever do any rom-coms on this show. And so I'm going to put all that together, and I'm going to take us back to 1986. And I'm feeling a little antsy, and I'm feeling a little anxious and next week, I just really want to hear uh, Dalton say, that's not a tweet. This is a tweet. Are you fucking kidding me? So next week, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> we go walk about. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. As we take a look at Paul Hogan. No. <laughs> in Crocodile Dundee. Yes! <laughs> Arthur, I fully support your decision and your choice. I am so excited to be talking about Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee next week. And, dear listener, we want to tell you this. Look at Cloud Atlas. Look very differently, perhaps, at Crocodile Dundee and have a conversation with somebody. Because the movies are so much more than 90 minutes or 120 minutes or 790 minutes, however many minutes the film happens to last, and a bucket of popcorn. They're about the conversation you have with the people that you care about. Because that's what makes watching the movies worthwhile. So take a look at all of that stuff, and we'll see you all next time. God help us all. 
The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.